Well, it is officially the Christmas season, and many of you either have been or probably will be traveling. And so, I, you know, I assume if you're not going to go somewhere, you maybe have someone coming to see you. You probably all had this experience, right, of going somewhere or having some guests at the holiday time and, and having to go through this process of decision-making. You, you have to decide, like, okay, how are we, where are we going to put everybody in the house and, or what are we going to pack? You know, let's say you're going to grandma's house for, for Christmas. I, how many of you have had that experience? You packed up, you went to your grandma's house for Christmas. Okay, we, we did. I grew up in Joplin, Missouri. My folks' uh, parents lived in Iowa for a lot of those years, and so we would, we'd pack up and, and go to grandma's. And it always involved this kind of decision-making process, right? You've got to think through all, all your stuff. You know, you, you got to pack your suitcase. And, and, and so, you know, you got to put in your stuff to be clean. I don't know about your family. The Scots have many faults, but we're clean people. Um, so, you know, you got a toothbrush and soap and all that things. And then grandma would always put us in the basement. Um, this is where she had room for all the grandkids. My, my dad has four brothers. None of them have less than four kids. There's a bunch of us. Um, so, you know, we, if you pack, if you're going to grandma's, you're going to be cold. So you better put some warm PJs um, in there. You know, it's hospitable, yes, but you're in the basement, kids. Um, and then grandma was a really good cook. You know, she just was really good. So we'd always make sure to pack, you know, eating pants. You know, you stretchy clothes that are comfortable because you're going to need another notch on the belt um, by the end of it. And, and as I've gotten older and we've taken our kids home to Deb's mom or something, maybe you've had this experience. Those of you who are more my age, Gen Xers, and maybe some of you millennials, you go in, right? And what's the first thing you hear? Hey, we're glad you're here. This stuff is broken, right? So I've just learned to pack jeans and, and work gloves, you know, when I go home, because uh, there's going to be work to do. You, you, you got to you think through, like, okay, we got we to gotta pack some stuff, especially if you're not going to have all the comforts of home that you're used to, all your resources that you're accustomed and you know where everything is, you, you got to think through what's important. That's what we're going to talk about today. You've got your Bibles, open them to Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. Yes, that's right. I said Philippians. I, this year in our Christmas series, it, it may seem a bit out of the ordinary at first, but I think if you'll hang in there with us, you will see Christmas in this passage, maybe in a way you've never noticed before, and certainly to, to a depth that maybe you haven't gone down to before. The idea behind this series is that you will have your best Christmas when you empty yourself and not your wallet. That's what we're going to be talking about for a few weeks. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm grateful for those of you here in the room. Thanks for being here on site. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. In the room, online, doesn't matter. Fill out your connection card. Let us know that you're here. And if there's a way that we can pray for you, uh, especially just in the busyness of the holiday season, uh, we want to do that. One thing to add to your prayer list, I want to encourage you to remember uh, to pray for the Gerhardt family. Uh, our brother Bill, longtime Chapel Rock member, uh, passed away overnight. We just found out this morning. So don't have any, um, you know, knowledge about arrangements yet. So be watching your email. We'll send that out once we know. Uh, but, but keep the Gerhardt family in your prayers this morning. A couple other things to let you know about. Uh, first of all, ladies, uh, today is your last chance to get tickets for the Christmas tea at the kiosk in the lobby. So if you want to go to that this coming Wednesday night, you need to uh, visit the, the 
lobby, the kiosk in the lobby to do that. Also, those of you with little ones, kids, grandkids, maybe great-grandkids, this coming Saturday, the 11th, is the Angel Breakfast. You can get your tickets for that at chapelrock.org slash events, okay? And then also just pay attention. Our Christmas Eve services are listed in the bulletin. They're also on the sign out front. But just as far as your holiday planning, uh, be sure to make time for that. Uh, like I said, we're starting a new series today. For the whole month of December, we're going to be focusing on Paul's teaching about what was happening theologically when Jesus descended from heaven to earth. <laughs> when, when he took on flesh in his incarnation, he, he descended. That's why this series is called The Descent. And so each week in this series, we're going to read the whole 11 verses. Every Sunday, it's the same passage, but we're just going to focus on a different chunk of it each week as we go, okay? So, so that's the plan. Let's read this together. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. We're going to come back to that in a little bit, okay? Verse 7. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The key phrase that we're going to be focusing on is in verse 7. Carl, can you put that back up on the screen so we can see that? The key phrase that we're going to focus on this whole month is right here in verse 7, that he made himself nothing. Now, at the risk of disengaging those of you who don't go in for this sort of thing, I want to spend a little time talking about the original language. I, I want to even show you what this looks like in Greek, okay? Because and I, some of you are like, oh no, he's doing it again. Please just hang on with me, okay? Because this is hugely important for you to understand your own faith, all right? I, I want to show you what this looks like, okay? Well, the phrase that Paul used here in the original language is al heoton ekenosin. It literally translated, but himself he emptied. So ekenosin, the word on the far right there, is, the, is he emptied in Greek. This word is the distilled essence of the incarnation. If you want to know the theology of the incarnation in one word, there it is. He emptied himself. This is what was happening, theologically speaking, when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John 1.14. Now in the classical Greek world, the root form of this noun, kenos, right, the first part of that word, appears really often. It's very common, 
right? It just, it means empty. And it's usually used as the opposite of the word for full. It's, it's really common. The word only appears two times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, both in Jeremiah and both times used metaphorically to describe the pretty sorry state of Israel as they moved further and further away from the covenant. God is telling his people, you're empty. But by the New Testament, it takes on an additional and theologically significant meaning, even though it only appears five times. The verb form used in Philippians 2.7 is one that indicates that, that at some point in the past, at least the past from when Philippians was written, the second person of the triune Godhead, God the Son, divested himself of all the heavenly glory that was due him and became the man Jesus of Nazareth. Now the verb tense that this word appears in here is often associated with once for all action. This is something that happened, it happened in the past, but have results that go on into the present and then even we would say from this point into the future. Now is that the way Paul is using it here? I think because of what we know about Jesus, yes. And here's why I say that. I've told you before that in the incarnation, God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, right? The one who is present at creation, willingly trapped himself in a human form for all eternity because he loves you. When we read Revelation, Jesus of Nazareth is in a human body in glory. What that means is that he exists there. He ascended to the Father in human form. Jesus loves you so much that he took on flesh and changed his mode of existence forever. Merry Christmas. Right? Wow. That's how much he loved. He emptied himself. He just dumped out everything and took on flesh. That's where we're going today. You see, the first step in becoming like Jesus at Christmas is choosing to value others over yourself. The reason he did that is that he valued you over his own glory. He valued you over his own divine prerogatives. He valued you over his own power and privilege. In the incarnation, in that moment when God the Son added a human form and nature to his divine nature and laid aside all the privileges and prerogatives of divinity to do so, he made a statement about what he values. So how does the incarnation display what Jesus values? Well, this passage is loaded with ideas about that. These first few verses, I think, key in on two. We're going to talk about those today. If you will embrace these values, you will have one of the best Christmases of your life, right? Here's the first one. He values unity through harmony. He values unity through harmony. Paul begins by talking about unity. And he, he stacks up these phrases that, that begin with this rhetorical structure. It, it, it's if any, if any, then this, if any, then this. And he uses this structure and he, the way that you could translate this, he's implying that they already have these things. Because they're in Christ, they already possess these things. You could translate it since. Since you have encouragement. Since you have comfort. It's, it's, it's because you already have these things. Well, well what things? 
Did you notice that all the words he uses here are togetherness words? They're all words for unity, right? The word translated encouragement shares a linguistic connection with one of the terms for the Holy Spirit. The word translated comfort is one that's connected with the idea of consolation, right? It's like when you've been through a really hard time and your friend comes to see you at your house and they just knock on the door and you open the door and they just wrap you up in a hug. And they just, it's this, it's this idea of, I don't, doesn't matter what's happening, I'm with you. I'm, 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 I'm here, I'm with you. I saw this lived out in Israel. In 2016, had the opportunity to go. Uh, part of our tour was to go to Masada, where King Herod had his fortress in the desert of Judea. And there's two ways to get up to the top. You can take a gondola, or you can take a pathway that Josephus calls the snake, that winds up the side of it. Well, guess which one I wanted to do? It was not the gondola, spoiler. i like, yes, let's do this thing. So I start talking to the other guys on the team, right? Do you guys want to do, we're going to hike the trail. Now we're going to have to run because, you know, the gondola only takes like 20 minutes and we got to move. So you want to do it? And one of the guys on the trip, his name was Mark. He's like, yeah, sure. And my, my roommate on the trip, Warren, who I'd known from, from Bible college days, ministers in rural Illinois, He's like, yeah, I'll go. And, and, and one other guy that Mark knew from church, uh, who was a teacher at Ozark, he said, sure, we'll go. So the four of us get up there. We got about a third of the way up and Mark is like dying. <laughs> he's like, guys, we got to stop. And he's, he's breathing hard and he's a little heavy at that point. And um, <laughs> we were like, okay, we'll just take a second, catch your breath. He goes, listen, I've learned a very expensive lesson today. I'm going to go down. I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm going to ride the gondola back up. I'll catch up with you on top. Um, he goes, you guys just go on ahead. And we're like, no, we'll wait for you to be. He goes, like, guys, I'm freezing. This is the Judean wilderness around the Dead Sea in June. You should not be cold, right? Like, uh, okay, this really is serious. And Warren, my roommate on the trip, he's like, okay, I'll go with you. And, and Mark was like, what? He goes, I'm with you, man. And he was going to literally lose time visiting this important historical site to be with his friend Mark. And it was awesome. Mark was like, Warren, I love you. Don't make me punch you. You go, I'll go down. And, and it was awesome. And I just, in that moment, I was, Warren's a, he's such a great pastor. Like, I want to be like Warren when I grow up. He's my age. Um, but that's what this is. That's what comfort here is. It's I'm with you no matter what. I'm in this with you. In the original text, the phrase common sharing is one word. Maybe you've heard this Greek word before, koinonia. It, it, it's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 2 to describe the life and vitality of the early church. They had this, uh, all things in common, right? They're in it together. This is the close fellowship that they had in those early days in the church. The word tenderness here in this passage is one that means it's a situation that affects you so deeply you can physically feel it in your guts. Like it, 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 there's a visceral physical reaction to the, someone else's pain and hardship and struggle. And then he uses this word for compassion. It's often used to describe the idea of sympathy. It's, it's as if you could taste the salt in someone else's tears. I love how Gerald Hawthorne described this passage. This is what he writes. 
Paul uses words big in meaning, compacted into brief, verbless phrases, rare words, and some words never found anywhere else in the New Testament. He piles claws on top of claws, beginning each clause with the same word. He does all this as if searching for ways to make his readers both think and feel deeply about the essential nature of harmony and its, necessary, and its necessity within the Christian community. Listen, all these words... Um, describe a deep and abiding unity. Christmas is about the idea that Jesus came here to have these things with us because he already possesses these things for us. He already feels this way about you and he loves you so much he came here and took on flesh so that he could have these things with you. Merry Christmas. Something occurred to me for the very first time this week. I've given this a lot of thought. I'm 100% convinced this is right and cannot be dissuaded. I've, I've really thought about this. Here, here's, well, here's what I'm saying. Our desire for these values, our hunger to live this way, is the reason for the success of Hallmark movies. <laughs> I've really thought about this. <laughs> think about it the reason these movies are so popular the reason there's an entire channel dedicated to this just constant stream of it is because they paint a picture of a community where these values are treasured and practiced and people go I want that. I want to live in a community that is, is known for encouragement and comfort and common sharing and tenderness and compassion and where everybody wears plaid. <laughs> Our hunger, that's why that's so popular. We want that, we see that, we go, oh, I want to live there. And church, that's what Jesus wants you to create in this West Side community because of Christmas. To seek for the unity found in the harmony of living out these values. A.W. Tozier in his book, The Pursuit of God, wrote this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but by to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What he's saying is that we have unity through harmony when we're all tuned to the same standard. Jesus came to set that standard. It's as if he, he is the tuning fork for how to live at Christmas. Can you hear that? There we go. These values are your tuning fork. And if you will tune your heart to this, it will, it will utilize, it will create a unity through harmony. Now, we don't all play the same note, but if, we're all, if all our pianos are tuned to the same set of forks, 
we'll be in tune with one another. Paul's not striving for unanimity here. He's not saying we all have to be the same. We all have different gifts. We all have different, you know, mindsets and, and things like that. He's saying in, in the essentials, in these values, you have to have the same. We got to value the same stuff and that will create a unity that comes from harmony. That's what we want to experience at Christmas, isn't it? About a year ago, leading into the holiday season, the United Kingdom had to lock down again because of the coronavirus pandemic. And so uh, Burger King UK uh, put something on their social media that was really surprising. Here's a picture of it, right? I, I want to show you this, this picture that Burger King put out on, on Twitter. It says, order from McDonald's. This is real. This really happened. So we never thought we'd be asking you to do this, just like we never thought we'd be encouraging you to order from KFC, Subway, Domino's, Pizza Hut, Five Guys, Greg's. It must be a UK chain. I don't know what it is. Uh, Taco Bell, Papa John's, Leon, or any of the other independent food outlets too numerous to mention here. In short, from any of our sister food chains, fast or not so fast. We never thought we'd be asking you to do this, but restaurants employing thousands of staff really need your support at the moment. So if you want to help, keep treating yourself to tasty meals through home delivery, takeaway, or drive-thru. Getting a Whopper is always best, but ordering a Big Mac is also not such a bad thing. <laughs> and some of, you know, we, we read that, we go, man, why don't, why don't we live like that all the time? I don't know, Jesus told us to do it. And he showed us how, by embracing these values. Part of becoming like Jesus at Christmas is embracing these values because they help you value others over yourself, just like he did. There's a second part to this, though, a second value that we see revealed here, and it's that Jesus values wholeness through humility. Humility is such an, a vital aspect of this passage, and we're going to drill more into it in, in, in pre, you know, future weeks in this series. But I just want to say this right now that we see here, in, even in these opening few verses, how important humility is. And we know it's important. We're not very good at it, but we know it's important. I heard about a guy who wrote two best-selling books. The first one was called Humility and How I Attained It. <laughs> and the second one is The Ten Most Humble Men in the World and How I Chose the Other Nine. Right? <laughs> like, we hear that, right? We roll our eyes. But the reality is that one of the main applications of this text is to teach the great humility of Jesus. Again, to make the point even clearer, it was the humility of God the Son descending to earth to become one of us that showed how much he valued us. And Paul valued it too. He uses this phrase, he says, make my joy complete. The word translated complete there is one of the wholeness words in the New Testament. It means to fill, to fill up, to make, to complete, to make whole. Paul's telling the Philippians that when they live lives of unity and humility, that he becomes more whole in seeing them do that. And that they will become more whole, more complete by embracing lives of humility and unity. He says that that will bring them and Jesus and him joy when we humbly put others ahead of ourselves. It's, there's a side benefit. It actually makes you more like Jesus too. But ultimately, the reason we do that is that that's what Jesus did when he came at Christmas. See, what Paul is describing here is a mindset. Look back at verse three. Look at this. Look at verse three. Paul says, 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value. That word value there is a, is a word that describes the way that you think. It's the mental process. It's just like when you're packing your bag, right? And you're like, I got to put this stuff in because I'm going to need it. It's this, this is evaluative process that you value others above yourselves. What's that mean? You've thought about this. You've given it some thought. And you're making a decision to put the needs of others above your own. That takes humility. That mindset takes humility to look at the needs of others as at least important as your own. He's not saying don't, care, don't take care of your own needs. He's saying view the needs of others at least as important as your own. It's exactly the same choice that Jesus made when he came here and lived among us. He didn't need to do that. You know that, right? Like, there was nothing that said that he, like, he didn't wake up one day in heaven and go, you know, I kind of feel like I ought to go become a human being. No. He did that because he loves you. He didn't need to. There are probably days you've read the Gospels, you've heard the stories about Peter and his mouth. There are probably days Jesus felt like, did I really make the right decision? <laughs> like, these guys, come on. Um, I don't know. No, no, he did it because he loves us. The motivating factor for Jesus was living out the wholeness that he had through his humility. And I think that the Holy Spirit gave his mother Mary insight into this. I think the Holy Spirit was working in Mary's heart. Do you remember in, in, John, excuse me, in Luke chapter 1? You know, Mary's cousin Elizabeth is, is pregnant, supernaturally, right? She was old. And was pregnant with John the Baptist. She's about six months ahead of Mary. And Mary goes to visit her, right? She just, just having conceived Jesus supernaturally in the womb. <laughs> and, and Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And John the Baptist, who's like, you know, six months, seven months gestation, leaps when Mary says hello in the womb. And then we read in Luke 1:46, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Look at this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary understood either instinctively through meditation on God's word or, or due to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, maybe both. She understood the value that God puts on humility. The world doesn't always understand that. I want to tell you today, if you want to have a great Christmas, you don't need to empty your wallet. You need to empty yourself. And that'll make it so much better than you ever imagined. Embrace humility and find wholeness to a degree that maybe you've never thought possible before. It's not about emptying your wallet. It's not about emptying all the boxes that Amazon piles up on your doorstep. It's about emptying yourself in love and service and humility. In his book, Invitation to a Journey, M. Robert Mulholland Jr. writes... Often people have the idea that the image of Christ is something alien to human beings. 
something strange that God wants to add on to our life, something imposed on us from outside that doesn't really fit us. In reality, however, the image of Christ is the fulfillment of the deepest hungers of the human heart for wholeness. The greatest thirst of our being is for fulfillment in Christ's image. The most profound yearning of the human spirit, which we try to fill with all sorts of inadequate substitutes, is the yearning for our completeness in the image of Christ. And if you, I believe that that's true, and if you want that yearning to be fulfilled, it will come through unity and humility. Not stuff under the tree. You see, when Jesus needed to make his journey to earth at Christmas, he didn't fill a suitcase. He emptied it. And his act of doing that is ultimately what led us to being able to empty our suitcase that was full already of sin and selfishness, disease and death, depression and darkness, Hatred and hostility. And we got to dump all that junk out and let Jesus put stuff like encouragement and comfort and common sharing and tenderness and compassion and joy and humility and yes, even wholeness. And he just dumped it all into your bag because he came at Christmas and emptied himself. I want to make sure you get this. The first step in becoming like Jesus at Christmas is choosing to value others over yourself. How are you going to do that today? That's part of how Jesus descended in the, in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about other aspects of this. But, but the way I want to focus your thinking today is, is to think about valuing others over yourself. That's part of the descent. How are you going to do that? been a divisive couple years and maybe the way that you're going to need to humble yourself is there's a rift a relational rift someone that you used to be close to and you haven't talked to him in a while and maybe this week you're going to need to make a phone call send a text message email whatever it takes you know inscribe it on stone and leave it on their doorstep i don't care you want you want to be like jesus <laughs> you want to pursue unity maybe that's the step you need to take this week Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never descended in the sense of bowing the knee to Jesus and letting him be Lord of your life. Maybe you need to decide to do that today. To say, you know what? I've never actually bowed my head in front of Jesus and said, yeah, you run this show because I stink at it. And maybe you're gonna need to do that. And we're gonna have a time for you to respond as we stand and sing together here in just a second. You've got an opportunity to come forward and, and, and say, yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord this Christmas. I want to follow him. I want to re repent of my sins and, 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 and confess them and confess my need for Jesus and be baptized and have his Holy Spirit come live in me and, and dump out all the junk I got in my suitcase and put stuff like hope and love and peace and joy in there. Maybe you'll want to do that today. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and for you descending means humbling yourself enough <laughs> to say, you know what? I got something going on I need prayer for. And I'd like one of our pastors, one of our decision counselors to pray with me You've got an opportunity to do that, even as we sing, to come forward and say, would you pray with me about, you know, fill in the blank. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and we're gonna sing together and you respond as God leads you today.